Welcome back to Soundboard. It's your source for news, culture, and community issues in Central Virginia. I'm your host, Mary Garner McGee. Soundboard airs every Saturday at 6 a.m. on WTJU 91.1 FM. Thankfully for those of us who are not morning people, Soundboard also comes to you as a podcast that belongs to the Teej FM network. That's T-E-E-J.FM. Teej is also getting ready to host our September podcast makers meetup and aspiring podcast makers meetup. That'll be on September 11th at 5.30 p.m. here at the stage at WTJU. If you're interested in getting on our listservs or signing up, you can go to teej.fm and go to the contact page of our website. All are welcome. All you have to do if you want to come on the 11th is have an idea and chat with other podcasters. You can brainstorm. You can bring a little bit of audio. We're open to all skill levels, and we'll also be hosting an introduction to podcasting workshop on September 21st from 10 to noon. That's in the morning, not in the evening. We'd love to meet you and help to get your podcast off the ground. Getting back to the podcast that you're already listening to. In a few minutes, we'll hear from Richmond-based journalist Peter Goleska about how tariffs are affecting Virginia farmers. We'll also call up Ty Cooper, who's organizing the Black Business Expo on September 14th at Ix Art Park. He talks about the importance of supporting Charlottesville's black businesses and entrepreneurs. But right now, we're joined by Billy Jean-Louis of Charlottesville Tomorrow. Billy Jean-Louis covers the education beat, and he's here to update us on the changes to the Quest gifted program in Charlottesville City Schools. Hi, Billy. Hey, Mary. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing today? Doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. To start off, could you tell us what the Quest program is? Of course, Mary. So Quest is Charlottesville City Schools gifted program. Uh, Virginia schools are required to identify gifted uh, children. The division said students are identified in many ways, including classroom performance, portfolio activities, uh, student checklist, and standardized test. Now, the division will continue to focus in English, math, and visual arts per uh, state requirements to identify students. Math and English have been used to identify gifted students from first through 12th grade. Visual arts are being used from fifth to 12th grade. How long has Charlottesville had a gifted program? That's a good question, Mary. So this goes way back. Uh, A letter found by UVA PhD student Margaret Thornton revealed that a woman identified as Miss Smith uh, recommended that city schools create a program to test children because city schools at the time were ordered to integrate. The letter was written in the 1950s and said that gifted and average groups made somewhere from about 15% to more than 20% uh, of the total school population in communities where this type of program has been, you know, undertaken. Now, the letter also acknowledged that some of these gifted and above average children will be black, and that would satisfy the court orders and show enough integration to satisfy federal officials. I'll tell you this. Quest came into being nearly 20 years later and operates similar to what was described in Miss Smith's letter. What are the concerns of students and Superintendent Atkins today? I'm glad you asked that question, Mary. So in 2018, uh, racial inequalities came to the forefront after an article by the New York Times 
and ProPublica focused on the school division's gifted program. Although the school system is 43% white, 37% black, and 11% Latino, 73% students in Quest are white, 13% are black, and 15% or Latino. So I had the chance to talk to Superintendent Rosa Atkins in June. She told me she decided to make immediate changes because in looking into the history of Quest, there is evidence how it led to the disparity. The program has been an issue that has been discussed for many years, but um, she told me that she cannot go back and ask previous superintendents and board members why they didn't make changes, but she can decide to advocate for changes to achieve equity now. Let's talk about that word gifted. Can you tell me what students think about that word? Of course. So students think the word has a negative connotation. Board member Leah Perrier said students have approached her even before she was on the school board to ask what was wrong with them A different board member by the name of Lisa Lawson-Torres also felt the same way. She said every child is gifted, and she just does not like hearing children being identified as gifted. So what are some of the proposed changes to this program? The proposed changes include shifting the universal screening that occurs at first grade to at least two other grades. The plan will also bolster a push-in model. It will allow all uh, students to receive instructions at the same time while gifted specialists collaborate with classroom teachers. Now, the division also plans to expand the collection of examples of students' best work to help determine giftedness from the first grade to the first through third grades. What challenges does Superintendent Atkins face in implementing these changes? You know, Mary, the academic year for Charlottesville City Schools started last week with these big changes in the division's gifted program. But I'll tell you what, the road to these adjustments wasn't easy for Rosa Atkins. Atkins faced backlash for requesting $620,000 from the city out of the normal budgeting cycle to hire eight gifted specialists to strengthen the, the changes to the program. Now, parents also criticized uh, her administration during a school board meeting, public comment session for moving too quickly to recruit more staffing. But earlier this month, the city approved $468,000 to fund six of the eight positions. The division, however, will pay for the remaining two teachers out of its current budget. Last time I had the chance to talk to the superintendent, she told me that she had already hired four of the eight specialists. What other initiatives is the school district working on with regard to equity? In late April, the city announced it hired its first supervisor of equity and inclusion. Uh, Her name is Tenise Johnson, who previously served as executive director of City of Promise. Her duties include examining policies and systems such as curriculum or transportation that are currently in place and ensure they're equitable for all children. She will also engage staff to build a welcoming and inclusive culture, monitoring student achievement, developing academic plans and providing counseling about educational equity issues. I had the chance to talk to her. She told me she brings a unique perspective to her role. Johnson was born and raised in Charlottesville. She said that her goal is to reach as many children as she can 
by facilitating change, like making sure all children, regarding the, of their background, receive the resources that they need to maximize their full potential. Thank you so much for coming. No problem. My pleasure. Billy Jean-Louis is an education reporter for Charlottesville Tomorrow. Find out more and read the latest at charlottesvilletomorrow.org. You're listening to Soundboard here on WTJU 91.1 FM and the Tej FM Network. That's TWEJ.FM. WTJU and Tej FM are both a service of the University of Virginia. However, opinions expressed on this show are not the positions of the University of Virginia. Up next, for an update on statewide news, Nathan Moore rings up our friend in Richmond. Well, here on Soundboard, we look at state news and politics here in the Commonwealth, and we turn each week to our friend and journalist, Peter Galaska. He's over in the Richmond area. Peter, good morning. Good morning. So I want to start things off with a piece you wrote about over at Bacon's Rebellion. It is about uh, Trump's tariffs uh, and how that's really hurting Virginia farmers. Take me through the story. Yeah, well, you know, President Trump has really been, has has wants to be tough on trade with just about everybody. And, but the problem is, is that his, his kind of, he doesn't really have a policy and he doesn't really, um, he does, you know, does it in fits and starts and very chaotically. And um, his biggest problem, his biggest target is China. And there, to be fair, there are certain things that, that China has done uh, over the years that are really questionable, such as stealing intellectual property, messing around with currency rates, and, and just being an overall um, kind of tough player. However, that one of the problems that Trump has had is that when he does something like, you know, put on tariffs, um, the Americans end up paying the bill. Uh, and it may not change China's behavior. And this seems to be the case with Virginia agriculture. And China had been the number one importer of Virginia farm goods. And, and yet, his recently, about 18 months ago, when he started, you know, talking and implementing tariffs, you can see a very real uh, chop down of, um, you know, of, of goods in dollar amount to China from Virginia. For example, in 2017, China bought about $671 million worth of farm goods, mostly soybeans and and livestock, apples, things like that. But um, within a year or so, that had dropped to $235 million. It's like a 60% drop, roughly. And this follows American trends nationally, according to the American Farm Bureau Federation. You know, no one knows what to do about it. Uh, uh, the Democrats, uh, Democratic leaders like Ralph Northam and Senators uh, Mark Warner and Tim Kaine have all decried Trump saying, what's the plan here? What are you really doing? It doesn't come out much from the Republicans who seem to be embarrassed by Trump. So we're talking, though, about exports to China being cut by more than half uh, nationally. Yeah, and more than Virginia. half. Yeah. yeah, definitely. What are the Virginia farmers saying about this? Well, they're kind of concerned. They just don't know what to expect. And um, it's very hard for them, for example, to plan. Uh, obviously, if you have a big farm, you're growing soybeans or corn or something like that, you have to know, like, how much should I plant? How much fertilizer should I, I buy? How far into debt should I go if there's going to be a payoff when the harvest comes? I mean, these are perennial issues for farmers, and they don't know. It's hard to plan. You don't know. Uh, Trump tweets one thing and then takes it back and tweets another. The big concern is that Trump, you know, in the run-up to the 2020 elections, will um, have even more tariffs. And meanwhile, the issue is, is this really the best way to go out? You know, China's admittedly bad problems with trade. 
wouldn't it be better to, for example, work with close uh, allies and say we'll have a concerted policy with, you know, carrot and stick policy with China? But Trump doesn't do that. He ends up alienating our allies. And we're kind of stuck with this in-your-face, unilateral, Trumpian kind of push. Well, meanwhile, back in, in domestic politics, there's a whole raft of economists that are suggesting these tariffs, this trade war, really, might be the thing that, that turns our economy toward recession in the next year or so. Well, worse. Don't forget that in the uh, around 19, late 1920s, early 30s, remember we had the stock market crash. But what really brought on the recession, Great Depression rather, which is much worse, were trade wars and tariffs and retaliatory tariffs. One company, uh, country starts issuing tariffs and slapping them on, and then everybody else does it. Next thing you know, you've really choked the global economy. That is proven history, proven fact, and that could very much, very well happen again. And that's kind of weird because, I mean, the one thing that Trump seems to have going for him in the run-up to the elections is the economy's been fairly strong. Uh, stock market has been fairly strong, but even the stocks are really taking dips and going up and down erratic because they don't know about the recession. They don't know about the trade policies. And Trump's performance at the G7 talks in Paris recently kind of don't really lend much of you know confidence in the future. Well, Peter, speaking about uh, rich guys who've made a whole lot of money on trade, uh, David Koch just passed away, one of the, the famous Koch brothers who is a billionaire industrialist and also funded a whole slew of, of mostly right-wing think tanks and, and, and advocacy groups. Uh, you wrote about David Koch and George Mason University here in Virginia this week. Take me right. through what the story's about. Yeah, I did. I thought that was really interesting. By the way, there's a really great book out called Kochland. Um that I was reading by chance. It's gotten great reviews, and I agree. But anyway, it was just really interesting that David Koch was part of the, you know, the brother team of Charles and David Koch, who um, run this Wichita, Kansas-based um, kind of industry conglomerate, and they made their money, you know, mostly through uh, pipelines and oil and gas, and then they expanded into paper and a number of other things. And they've been always a very privately held, very secretive company. And, um, you know, they, they run it their way. And by some accounts, they do a good job running their business, but it's very, very serious, very disciplined. They have their own management system uh, called market-based management, and they hate government regulation. They came to hate it, especially uh, through the oil business, and they didn't want anyone telling them what to do. So eventually, they were very successful, obviously. I think David Koch, when he died, was worth between 40 and $50 billion by some estimates. But anyway, what they did was that um, maybe 30 years ago or more, they started turning their money into political donations. And they came up with a whole pattern of that uh, that helped out other things. Among their, their um, beneficiaries were the Libertarian Cato Institute in Washington, the American Legislative Exchange Council, which is a group that puts together free market, anti-government regulation templates for state legislatures around the country, including Virginia. They have the Americans for Prosperity, which uh, helps beat down the idea of a carbon tax to fight um, you know, global warming. And one of their biggest beneficiaries was the revitalization of George Mason University, a large state, uh, state-owned state uh, university up in northern Virginia near D.C. And what's their influence been on GMU? Well, GMU was kind of, you know, it was 
for years, it was pretty much of a commuter school serving its purpose. But they have started, you know, agreements there, and they, they've gone in a number of different aspects of or, or parts of GME. For example, they they've helped fund the Institute for Humane Studies, which promotes such thing as opposing minimum wage hikes. They were really big into the Mercatus Institute, which is a free market think tank at GMU. And um, at one point, the Kochs, you know, actually had the right to review, um, you know, professors uh, for that institute, which promotes free market ideals. And the last thing they did recently was they wanted to, to help. They put money into, um, mostly it was Charles, not David, to be fair, but they, to, to promote um, uh, Antonin Scalia, conservative late um, uh, Supreme Court justice who died recently, to have his name dominate or be the name of uh, renamed uh, the law school at GMU to underline its conservative nature. There's been a backlash at GMU by students. There's a movement called Uncoke My University, which has sued the university and won to some extent uh, to get documents linking the Koch brothers to GMU funding through their Freedom of Information Act. They're, the Koch brothers are certainly you know, maybe the most known or prominent of these uh, very wealthy funders of conser- of the conservative movement. But I mean, it's, there's a bigger structure here where if you have a lot of money, you can just sort of buy think tanks, you can buy <laughs> uh, media, you can buy yeah. all kinds of stuff to, to prop up what you want. What what comes next with this? What's the system look like? Well, I, we have to be fair. A couple of things. I just want to insert one one. The liberals do it too. I mean, you've got George Soros, you've got Mike Bloomberg, and they do exactly the same thing but from for the people of their own or groups of their own interest. And and to be fair to David Koch, he did give a lot of money, I mean, a lot of money to like ballet in New York and cancer research. He died of cancer, apparently, and things like that. But it does show, it does show this kind of octopus of money influencing the really hardcore stuff like, you know, climate change research. The Kochs tend to deny it. And, and on it goes. And there's an obvious link between the Koch brothers' fossil fuel interests and um, not having regulation to limit carbon. I mean, it's pretty clear. And so, you know, you've kind of, this has been really a trend for years. It's going to continue. Well, Peter, thanks so much for taking the time today. Okay, bye. Peter Galaska is a journalist based in the Richmond area. He writes for the blog Bacon's Rebellion. You're listening to Soundboard here on WTJU 91.1 FM and the Tej FM network, TWJ.FM. WTJU is supported by the Southern Environmental Law Center, celebrating 30 years of protecting the South's environment and the people who depend on it for health and well-being. Power of the Law, Southern Environmental Law Center. All right, well, here on Soundboard, we check in with all kinds of things that are going on in our community. And there's actually an event coming up on Saturday, September 14th that WTJU is a part of. And I am talking here with Ty Cooper of LifeView Marketing and Visuals. Ty is the lead organizer for the Black Business Expo this year, which is happening down at the Ix Art Park on the 14th. Ty, welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you. Ty, what is, uh, what's the Black Business Expo all about? Well, um, the Black Business Expo is, is really to support the black businesses in the local area, in the Charlottesville, Albemarle County area, but also to make sure that other people are simply aware of these businesses and their offerings. Sometimes people just do not know. Maybe some of these businesses may not have the money or the, the capital to be able to promote their businesses in a way where the masses will be able to you know, know who they are and 
you know, how to locate them. So this is a place that we just bring people together and, you know, that way be able to expose those who don't know about them and also just increase the general exposure of the businesses as well. Why, why do a Black Business Expo here in Charlottesville? Charlottesville has so much history of not being a place where um, minorities can thrive. And I hear that from many people. Um, we hear the conversations um, throughout, you know, and, and especially even since, and this is this has been going on way before um, August 2017. But since then, you hear a lot more about just like the unfairness and, and just the um, inequality issues and so forth because of like some of the, you know, the racial tension that we have. When you hear so much about it, you have so many different people come together having dialogue on on how can we make things better for minority businesses, particularly black businesses. And I think um, this is one of the ways where we really can try to at least help make a difference. You know, we're trying to boost a solid black middle class in Charlottesville. One of the one of the key ways of doing that is supporting entrepreneurship. And there's a lot of business. These business owners are trying to make a difference in their in their household and within their immediate communities. And I so I just think that it's, it's time to really show that support to these to these black businesses, you know. And um, and this this particular this black business expo is open up. To, it's open for everyone. Like we have these booths that's going to be outside showcasing many different black businesses from finance and, and eateries and retail, um, insurance companies and and, and more. But we also have an education component. We have three panel discussions, um, which um, which we have well-endowed business leaders in this community um, sitting on the, on these three different panels to talk about finance, marketing, and how to attract consumers and, and maintain those relationships. And then we also have a um, we also have a, um, a business pitch competition with cash prizes, um, marketing support for growth. So it's a lot that we offer, and I just think that it's really needed. It's really needed to try to help level the playing field, or at least provide the opportunity for businesses to grow. There's also an entertainment component to this. What's going on in terms of music and entertainment at the Expo? One thing about Charlottesville is this. Many black people feel as though the city lacks cultural representation of the black community. So when we have a Black Business Expo, yes, it's, it's about business, right? We, we, we're trying to promote these businesses. We're trying to educate. We're trying to provide networking opportunities. But then at the end of the day, it's time to celebrate. So from any type of thing that you do, when you, when you have that, that, um, that seriousness and that, you know, we have that, we have that um, particular goal in mind, at the end, we just want to celebrate. So by celebrating, we have um, international star Corey Harris performing. Um, and we also have a DJ. So um, 12 o'clock, these, these booths will start to set up. One o'clock will be open to the general public. Um, then we have the panel discussion from from two to five, so two o'clock, three o'clock, and four o'clock in the next five. And immediately at five, we have the business pitch competition, and that ends at six. And at six p.m., that's when we have this. Um, we have a, a, an amazing DJ, um, you know, um, DJing, you know, music providing the music. And then um, later on, that about six forty-five on the seven o'clock, we have Corey Harris and his band performing all the way to, and then we close at nine o'clock so we really have a full day and full evening of learning opportunities and um, music entertainment and i know of course this is part of the free fall music and art festival that wtju and the xart park put on and this is our third year including the black business expo as a really an integral part of this 
and and Free Falls overall mission yeah. is to is to bring people together through through shared music and and community conversations. And how does this fit in with uh, with that mission? Yeah, so when it's open to the public, it's a free event. There's no cost to anyone. I mean, there's no cost to the business owners that's going to be set up. There's no cost to patrons to come in. I mean, it's, there's a lot that we're offering, and it's really W2JU with this music series. Um, and I love, I mean, I've supported last year, I've supported the year before that. Um, these, 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 these concerts and these shows and so forth, they really, truly bring people together. I mean, it's, it's really diverse. I've seen really diverse and inclusive um, audiences at various of the different shows that, that go on each week. And so the Black Business Expo is that is just that. Also, it's open to the public, it's open to everyone. So I think it really, I think the mission behind what WTJU is doing, and the mission of Black communities trying to thrive and trying to be seen and recognized, I really truly think it lines up. I think it, I think it was a perfect match, and I mean, I'm just proud to be a part of it. You know, uh, Ty, you and I have talked about this a little bit, but but. Um... You've got some other much larger metros with a much larger sort of black middle class. And when they do a Black Business Expo, it's a whole different box of rocks. And you, know, you go to Memphis or, or places like that. Um, what what are the challenges of doing a, a Black Business Expo like this in Charlottesville? Um, there's several challenges um, that I'm trying to overcome. And not just me, but, you know, with, um, you know work with WTJU and, and some other entities, the city of Charlottesville, that's, trying, that's supporting this as well. The Office of Economic Development. Um, the challenges that we face is that we have a la- we have a small, and this is relatively speaking, right? Comparatively speaking, at that, we have a small amount of business owners um, in Charlottesville, and we have a tendency of having a lot of business in the same um, genre. So we have in Charlottesville, when it comes down to black business owners, you can easily find you know hairstylers and barbershops. You could find eateries, um, like catering companies. Now you got more catering companies, black catering companies than we once had. But because you, you know, there's not a real true shortage in that area. And um, but we have we have shortages, in my opinion, in like legal, you know, lawyers and um, accountants, uh, major car dealerships, and you know, so it's a lot that we may not, we don't have really truly present and thriving in Charlottesville. So. So sometimes, so we really have to, um, you know, be open and trying to really target and open up and even open up the area, open up the expo to people in, let's say, Albemarle County or someone who may be in Orange or um, who may have a business and, you know, who do business in Charlottesville. You may not, you may not quickly, easily get to know who they are, right? Based on their marketing dollars. So, um, so sometimes that could be the challenge trying to find um, of, the, of a, a wide variety of, um, black business businesses. All right, Ty. What can folks expect? Where can folks find out more? Yeah, we could, they're going to look forward to having a great time. Um, I mean, you know, like I said, you come out there, you see the different, um, you know, business owners. Just come out there, just be open to support, get, be open to learn about what's out there that you may not know. It's best for a person to go to a place and be able to um, find out more about what's actually offered in this area than they know of. So, and I think that, you know, and it, it's all about giving options, giving yourself options. So you come there for that, and you come there to learn at the business business panel, um, and then you come there to actually be entertained by Corey Harris. I mean, it's a, it's a, 
it's a win-win situation for every for everyone. All right, Ty. Thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, absolutely. Ty Cooper owns LifeView Marketing and Visuals and is the key coordinator of this year's Black Business Expo. The Black Business Expo takes place on Saturday, September 14th from 1 to 9 p.m. at the Ix Art Park. You can find out more at freefallseville.com. Well, that does it for this week's edition of Soundboard, your source for news, culture, and community issues in Central Virginia. We hope you learned something new this week, and if you did, please share Soundboard with your friends. And if you're looking for weekend plans, come on out to the very first Freefall Festival of this season. This Saturday from 2 to 9 p.m. at Ix Art Park, we're kicking off Freefall with Zaltandi World Dance Festival, featuring Beleza at 7 p.m. Until next week, my name is Mary Garner McGee. Our theme song is Chioga Beat by Marin Lasco and Jay Pun. This is Soundboard. Catch us at WTJU.net or our podcast home at TJFM. That's T-E-E-J dot F-M. <laughs>